Welcome back to the program. This is Mark Lichtenwalter. This is Fundamentally Mormon, part of the Zion's Redemption radio network. Today we're going to continue reading Jesus Was Married, chapter 3, pages 10 through 15. The chapter's entitled Rabbi Jesus. We'll first listen to the reading portion of the program which is about 14 minutes long. And then we'll get into the reading and commentary portion of the program. Rabbi Jesus, chapter three of Jesus was married, pages 10 to 15 to understand the nature and mission of the life of Christ. One must first understand the lineage, traditions and the religion into which he was born. History has accurately confirmed his birth, childhood, and adult life in a Jewish society. He honored Jewish laws. He taught in Jewish synagogues, and eventually became a Jewish rabbi. His life's mission was dedicated and foreordained to be a part of the Jewish society, and the events of his life were ultimately fulfilled according to the prophecies of the ancient Jewish prophets. Unlike any other nation, The tribe of Judah was distinct in its moral and physical laws. The purpose of cleansing or purifying the body and soul was for a dedication and preparation of that Messiah, who would be born through that sacred lineage. Eating habits were restricted by spiritual laws to purify the blood, and marriage laws were jealously observed by the Jewish community to prevent introduction to contamination by any Gentile strain of blood. Every Jewish woman lived with the hope and desire of being honored to bear the chosen Messiah and Savior of the world. From the fall of Adam, the Redeemer became a necessity and an expectation. Prophecy depicted the event, the time and the location of his birth, as well as many incidents in the life of this blessed Redeemer. It was the grand patriarch Jacob, who bestowed a patriarchal blessing upon the heads of his twelve sons, and Judah was given the distinction of receiving the promised lineage of this predicted Redeemer. Said Jacob, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until she'll come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So were the faith and desire of the house of Judah, as they anticipated this cherished event. They concentrated with an amiable protective care on this sacred trust, and the noble examples of heroism and valor were scrawled throughout the pages of ecclesiastical antiquity. Upon the lips of all Judah was the consolation of the prophetic promise that his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And for nearly 1700 years that promise continued to be repeated. The expected Emmanuel became a part of every sacrificial rite, prophecy, prayer, and was even fused into their songs and psalms. The promised coming of their Messiah compelled them to a strict observance of all the laws of God. When Moses led Israel out of bondage, giving them God's revelations and laws, he pointed ahead to the time when a great prophet would come among them, like unto me. This grand event was to be heralded by heaven itself, the guiding star, the night as day, and messages delivered by angels, thus confirming and fulfilling these ancient prophecies upon the child Jesus. Among the Jews the twelfth year was the time which separated a boy from his childhood. Then a Hebrew boy was called Bar Mitzvah, which is a son of the Lord or child of the commandment. This is a period in which he was to study and be taught by the wisest teachers in Israel, learning and studying the law and the testament. There were annual gatherings, like conferences, in which many of these wise teachers gave instructions. Three special annual feasts were particularly set apart for the instruction of young men. These feasts were the Passover, the Pentecost, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Passover was the most zealously attended, and worshippers came from all parts of the land to commemorate the deliverance of the Israelites from bondage, by the judgments of God upon the Egyptians. See Exodus 12, 
At the age of 12, Jesus ventured inside the great Jewish temple and, perhaps, for the first time, he saw the paschal sacrifice of the Lamb, robed men acting in the office of high priests, while hearing the sacred prayers of his nation and smelling the consecrated temple incense. But more important than this, Jesus came into contact with the learned rabbis of Israel. It is supposed at this time that Jesus spoke with Rabbi Hillel, whose teachings are recorded with high esteem in the Talmud. However, Jesus was not taught by any rabbi, it was he who was teaching and answering the questions of the councils, and they were astonished at his understanding and answers. Jesus spent three days in the temple conversing with the learned elders of Zion. After the third day his mother had become aware of his absence and found him still in the temple speaking to the priests and teachers. She then proceeded to chastise him for the way he had dealt with her. In reply he said, Wist you not that I must be about my father's business? But they understood not the saying, which indicates that he was about his heavenly father's business. His father's business was teaching and instructing, not doing carpenter work, as modern tradition teaches. His wisdom and understanding superseded all the learning of the councils. But he could not reveal all that he knew, nor could he expose all of the existing evils within the empire. The prophet Joseph explained, our lives have already become jeopardized by revealing the wicked and bloodthirsty purposes of our enemies, and for the future we must cease to do so. All we have said about them is truth, but it is not always wise to relate all the truth. Even Jesus, the Son of God, had to refrain from doing so, and had to restrain his feelings many times for the safety of himself and his followers and had to conceal the righteous purposes of his heart in relation to many things pertaining to his father's kingdom. When still a boy he had all the intelligence necessary to enable him to rule and govern the kingdom of the Jews, and could reason with the wisest and most profound doctors of law and divinity, and make their theories and practice to appear like folly compared with the wisdom he possessed. But he was a boy only and lacked physical strength even to defend his own person, and was subject to cold, to hunger and to death. There was another reason which delayed the full ministry of Jesus. We read that it was not until he was about 30 years of age that he began his ministry. This indicated that he was complying with one of the laws required to fulfill the office and calling of rabbi or priest. It was not until Jesus was 30 years of age that he was baptized, fasted for 40 days, and gathered disciples into the ministry. By this time he had complied with all of the requirements of Jewish laws as a rabbi. Compliance to the rules and regulations of Jewish law was essential in the work of the ministry, lest the high priests and councils use legitimate reason to condemn or reject him. Jesus knew this and warned his disciples to obey carefully the requirements of their laws, because they sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. The chief priests and councils sought with lawyers to trap Jesus for violating even the most minute laws. Jesus, however, could recite the law in his own defense, and by the same law condemn the Pharisees for their disobedience. He could condemn the hierarchy of Judah for their hypocrisy by their own law, and also condemn them according to the laws of God. It should be carefully noted that Jesus was often called Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master. This was an office, title, or position of teacher, which was highly honored by the Jews, so much so, that it became a title of prestige and social respect. If a man was a rabbi, he was entitled to the choice seats in social gatherings and praises of the multitudes. Jesus warned his disciples to avoid the social prestige, the public honors, and the praiseworthy titles that came with the title of rabbi. Jesus was often called rabbi, which he did not deny. 
it was just replied, both as to office and honor. If Jesus was not a rabbi according to that Jewish office, he would have immediately renounced the title. His chief apostle, Peter, often called him rabbi, but received no word of correction from Jesus, indicating that the title was properly applied. When Jesus was called rabbi by Judas and by Nathanael and the other disciples, he acknowledged the title without dispute. Great masses of the people also called him rabbi. And when Nicodemus, a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, acknowledged Jesus as rabbi, it was conclusive evidence that Jesus was indeed a Jewish rabbi. The office of rabbi required a person to be particularly well versed in the scriptures and the Talmud, whereas the office of priest required certain sacrificial and temple ordinance ceremonies. Yet, both were specially commissioned. To be recognized as a rabbi, however, a Talmudic student has to be ordained. The custom of ordination is very old. Joshua was ordained by Moses. The practice of ordination in its mosaic form ceased in Palestine in the second half of the 4th century when the Judean academies were closed. In the 16th century an attempt was made in Palestine to revive the ancient ordination, as well as the Sanhedrin, with all the power and authority that it possessed, but this attempt resulted in failure. With the ordination to this official calling of rabbi, Jesus could teach the gospel principles wherever he was led to do so. As a rabbi he taught thousands upon the mountainside, in the synagogues, and even resorted to use of a whip to teach a special lesson to the money changers in the temple. The councils, lawyers, Pharisees and priests of Judah tried by every means to prove Jesus unfit for the office, but to no avail. Jesus acknowledged the title, office, and position of rabbi by precept and example. He was destined to be the most honored of rabbis, priests and even kings. It was his kingly and priestly powers which brought about the envy of both pagan and Jew. His influence was felt in every domain of social, religious and political life, and soon caused the jealousy and fear of those who felt the sting of his rebuke. For Jesus exposed the corruptions of the political tyrants and the religious demagogues. Jesus lived through a constant barrage of attacks against his birth, character, authority, law and doctrine. Yet if he had lived a celibate life, that alone would have given his enemies their greatest advantage to dispute his claims, for it was against the traditional and scriptural law for a rabbi to remain single. Jesus could only have avoided this pitfall by obeying the rabbinical law of marriage. Okay, so that was chapter 3 of Jesus Was Married. Hopefully you didn't hear it, but I am recording in my bedroom. And my two-year-old son thought that it would be fun to jump all over me and give me raspberries on my arm and throw a pillow at my face. (laughs) You know... It is kind of exhausting working at night and trying to get enough sleep in the daytime so I can go back to work, but I do treasure this time with my son. And I'm really grateful that I have something to try to keep him preoccupied while I do the reading of this program. Jesus Was Married is... One of the first books that I ever had of Ogden Krauts. Back when I was an over-the-road truck driver, I would come back to Salt Lake to visit my mom and some friends and some family. And I didn't have a car for some time, so I would just drive the truck around. And one night, I was over at the mall in West Valley City, Utah. And back then, I didn't really have a lot of friends. 
So I'd go to the movies on my time off. And they had dollar movies there at that mall. So I had watched a couple of movies back to back. And I was walking out to my truck after everything had closed. And a man in a white pickup truck that said security on it drove over to me. Just wanted to see what was going on. We got to talking, and back then I was like on fire doing missionary work, talking about the gospel all the time, and he realized that I could probably use a couple of the books that he had. He gave me Compromise and Concessions by Ogden Kraut. The Mist, uh, Gospel, or I think it's Mysteries of the Kingdom. Or no, it's The Mysteries of Creation by Ogden Kraut, which is my favorite book. And Jesus Was Married, which is another one of my favorite books. And I think it was in... I think that was in 2001 or 2002. In 2010, I found Ogdenkraut.com and started reading all of the books that Ogden was able to compile. And it wasn't until 2014 that I started reading them on my program, The Kingdom of God or Nothing which is a podcast that unfortunately has, it still exists, you can find it. Some episodes are still up, but for some reason the audio on most of the programs was deleted. Which is unfortunate because I spent literally thousands of hours preparing and reading to do that. Uh, those programs because um, of some things that happened in 2016 I decided to end that program and start this one Fundamentally Mormon which reaches a far not as large audience with the kingdom of God or nothing I would get people from all different religions listening But with Fundamentally Mormon, I don't get that huge audience. But I've decided to continue on with this ministry that I have of education through this format. And I've realized that because the blog talk radio and iTunes delete things after a period of time that I needed to have my stuff on a different format. So recently I've been screen recording my old programs onto my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash user forward slash God is my compass channel name is fundamentally mormon just like this radio program or podcast and last night i was able to upload two videos actually i think i uploaded five altogether but two from the old radio program and then i uploaded two recent ones and then I uploaded a talk by Cleon Skousen about the life of George Washington which is really good but the two programs that I uploaded yesterday are episodes 209 and episodes 210 one is a report of pilot that was found in the late 1800s where he talked about Jesus of Nazareth and his experience with him. And I just, I love it so much. It's so good. And then 
the other program was about Caiaphas and how he reacted to Jesus the Christ. So before I begin my reading today, I just wanted to let you know that you should go check those things out. I've posted them on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977 and in the different groups that I admin and on the pages that I admin. One of my pages is called Fundamentally Mormon Podcast and Radio Show and then another one's called Zion's Redemption Bookstore and another Zion's Redemption Radio Network. If you're interested in the things that I post and talk about. You can go to those pages or just follow me on my wall. If I have too many friends to accept anyone else, because I have a 5,000 person limit, you can still follow me. I've got hundreds of followers besides the 5,000 friends that I have on Facebook. But anyway, let's get into the reading Rabbi Jesus, Chapter 3 of Jesus Was Married, pages 10 to 15. To understand the nature and mission of the life of Christ, one must first understand the lineage, traditions, and the religion into which he was born. History has accurately confirmed his birth, childhood, and adult life in Jewish society. He honored Jewish laws, he taught in Jewish synagogues, and eventually became a Jewish rabbi. His life's mission was dedicated and foreordained to be a part of the Jewish society, and the events of his life were ultimately fulfilled according to the prophecies of the ancient Jewish prophets. My son is climbing on me right now. Are you going to say hi? Are you going to say hi? Hi. Of course he's not going to say hi. But he's going to climb all over me because I'm his daddy and he's happy I'm home. (laughs) Unlike any other nation, the tribe of Judah was a distinct was distinct in its moral and physical laws. The purpose of cleansing or purifying the body and soul was for a dedication and preparation of the Messiah, who would be born through that sacred lineage. Eating habits were restricted by spiritual laws to purify the blood, and marriage laws were jealously observed by the Jewish community to prevent introduction to contaminates by any any Gentile strain of blood. And that also, you know, they didn't want to have the traditions of the pagans uh, mingled with them because every time they did that, it wasn't good for them. Anyway, every Jewish woman lived with the hope and desire of being honored to be the chosen, to bear the chosen Messiah and savior of the world. From the fall of Adam, a a redeemer became a necessity and an expectation. Prophecy depicted the event, the time, and the location of his birth, as well as many other incidents in the life of this blessed redeemer. It was the grand patriarch, Yaakov, or Jacob, who bestowed a patriarchal blessing upon the heads of his 12 sons. And Judah was given the distinction of receiving the promised lineage of this predicted redeemer. Yaakov said, page one, page 11, for those of you following along, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. 
So a lot of people believe that Shiloh is Jesus Christ, but I believe that in order for the scepter of power to depart from Judah, somebody not of the tribe of Judah had to hold that scepter. The keys were given from John the Baptist to Jesus Christ and from Jesus Christ to Peter, James, and John who were all of the house of, of Judah. But when they were given to Joseph Smith, they were given to a pure Ephraimite who was also given the keys of the gathering of the people in the Kirtland Temple. So... Joseph Smith is the prophesied Shiloh to come. But a lot of people believe it's Jesus Christ. And I don't know that it makes a big difference to our salvation, but that's what I believe. So were the faith and desire of the house of Judah as they anticipated this cherished event They consecrated with the amiable protective care on the sacred trust and the noble examples of heroism and valor were scrawled throughout the pages of ecclesiastical antiquity. Upon the lips of all Judah was the consolation of the prophetic promise that his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And for nearly 1,700 years, that promise continued to be repeated. The expected Emmanuel became a part of every sacrificial rite, prophecy, and prayer, and was even fused into their song and psalms. The The promised coming of the Messiah compelled them to a strict observance of the laws of God. When Moses led Israel out of bondage, giving them God's revelations and laws, he pointed ahead to a time when the great prophet would come among them like unto me. That's speaking of uh, Deuteronomy or Devarim, chapter 18, verse 15. And... You know, Jesus was a man like unto Moses, but in Joseph Smith History, chapter 1, Moroni, in verse 45, is talking to Joseph Smith. Now, for those of you who don't know who Moroni is, in Revelations, I think it's chapter 14, it says, in the last days that there would be an angel that would fly from the midst of heaven from the throne of God having the everlasting gospel to preach to the inhabitants of the earth crying with a loud voice saying repent ye, repent ye the day of the Lord is at hand that the fulfillment of that prophecy was the coming of a man by the name of Moroni, who was an angel of God, or a Melech, or a sent one of God to speak to Joseph Smith. And he gave some scriptures, Isaiah chapter 11, talking about the stem, the root, the rod, and the branch that would usher in the millennial reign. And he said that was about to be fulfilled. He also talked about the prophecies of Joel's where it talks about men or young men will dream dreams and old men will have visions and all these miracles and things happening in the last days. And he also talked about Acts chapter 2 verses, or I think it's Acts chapter 3, 22 and 23 that talks about the man like unto Moses. And Moroni says that that man is Christ or a Messiah, but the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. Jesus, or Yeshua, had already been rejected by his people. So it wasn't speaking about Jesus Christ, but it was speaking about another Messiah that would come 
Moses was a Messiah to his people. He was an anointed one who delivered them from the bondage of Mitzarim or Egypt. Cyrus was called a Messiah by Isaiah and Cyrus the Great, he delivered the Israelites from the bondage of, of Babylon. Yeshua or Jesus came to deliver us from the bondage of death and hell by pay, paying for our sins and taking upon himself the sins and transgressions of the world in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he sealed that up by his death on the cross. He is the King Messiah, but the Jews knew because of Zechariah chapter 4, verse 14, that there were two anointed ones, or two messiahs, that would stand before the Lord of the whole earth, which is the Father in heaven. These are Messiah ben Judah, the King Messiah, and Messiah ben Yosef, the General Messiah. And that these two witnesses, the first witness of the Father and the second witness of the Father, would come upon the earth in their due times. So when Moroni was talking about the man like unto Moses of Acts chapter 3, 22 and 23, he wasn't speaking of Jesus, but he was speaking of the, the future com- coming of the general Messiah who would be an Elias to prepare for the coming of the Ancient of Days at Adam and Andiamen and the redemption of Zion and the the return of the King Messiah, Messiah ben Judah or Jesus Christ. So when people talk about Jesus being the man like unto Moses, they're not wrong. But there's more to it than that. Anyway, continuing off with the reading. This grand event was to be heralded by heaven itself. The guiding star, the night as day, the message delivered by angels, thus confirming the fulfillment of ancient prophecies upon the child Jesus. Real quick. The Chinese around the time of Christ saw a really bright light in the sky and they recorded it as a comet. In Babylon, the Magi, who were descendants of Daniel in Babylon, they saw the star to the west of them up above the city of Jerusalem and it was there for quite some time they had time to go to walk to Jerusalem and they came underneath the star which was a fixed point in the sky what they were looking at was the city of Enoch up in the atmosphere, up in space. And at night, the sunshine reflected off of that great landmass. And that was the star that they were following. Continuing on. Among the Jews, the twelfth year was the time to be separated from a boy, uh, which separated a boy from his childhood. He then was a Hebrew boy and was called Bar Mitzvah, which is a son of the law or a child of the commandment. This is a period in which he was to study and be taught by the wisest teachers in Israel, learning and studying the law and the testament. There were annual gatherings like conferences in which many of these wise teachers gave instructions. Three special annual feasts were particularly set apart for the instruction of young men. 
these feasts were Pesach, which is called Passover, Shavuot, which is called Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, which in Hebrew is Sukkot. The Passover, or Pesach, was the most zealously attended, and worshippers came from all parts of the land to commemorate the deliverance of the Israelites from bondage by the judgments of God upon the Egyptians. See Exodus chapter 12, and we're on page 12 if you're following along. At the age of 12, Jesus ventured inside the great Jewish temple and perhaps for the first time he saw the paschal sacrifice of the lamb. He saw robed men acting in the office of high priests while hearing the sacred prayers of his nation and smelling the consecrated temple incense. But more important than this, Jesus came into contact with the learned rabbis of Israel. It is supposed at this time that Jesus spoke with Rabbi Hillel, probably Gimliel, whose teachings are recorded with the highest esteem in the Talmud. However, Jesus was not taught by any rabbi. It was he who was teaching and answering the questions of the council, and they were astonished at his understanding and answers according to Luke chapter 2, verse 47. Jesus spent three days in the temple conversing with the learned elders of Zion. After the third day, his mother had become aware of his absence and found him still in the temple speaking to the priests and teachers. She then proceeded to chastise him for the way he had dealt with her. In reply, he said, Wouldst ye not that it must be about my father's business? But they understood not the saying, which indicates that he was about his heavenly father's business. His father's business was teaching and instructing not doing carpenter work as modern tradition teaches. His wisdom and understanding superseded all the learning of the councils, but he could not reveal all that he knew, nor could he expose all of the existing evils within the empire. The prophet Joseph Smith explained, Our lives have already become jeopardized by the revealing the wicked and the bloodthirsty purposes of our enemies, and for the future we must cease to do so. All we have said about them is true, but it is not always wise to relate all the truth. Even Jesus, the Son of God, had to refrain from doing so and had to restrain his feelings many times for the safety of himself and his followers on page 13 and had to conceal the righteous purposes of his heart in relation to many things pertaining to his father's kingdom when still a boy he had all the intelligence necessary to enable him to rule and govern the kingdom of the Jews and could reason with the wisest and most profound doctors of the law and divinity and make their theories and practices to appear like folly compared to the wisdom he possessed. But he was a boy only, and lacked physical strength even defend, to defend his own person, and was subject to cold and hunger and to death. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 392. There was another reason which delayed the full, full ministry of Jesus, we read that it was not until he was about 30 years of age that he began his ministry. This indicated that he was complying with one of the laws required to fulfill the office and calling of a rabbi or priest. It was not until Jesus was 30 years of age that he was baptized, or mikvah, that he fasted for 40 days and gathered disciples into the ministry. By this time, he had 
complied with all the requirements of Jewish laws as a rabbi. Compliance to the rules and regulation of Jewish law was essential in the work of the ministry, lest the high priests and councils use legitimate reason to condemn or to reject him. Jesus knew this and warned his disciples to obey carefully the requirements of the law because they sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatsoever they bid you to observe, that, uh, that observe and do. That's Matthew chapter 23, verses 2 through 3. So Moses' seat was where the rabbis would sit down in the synagogue and they would read from the Torah scrolls the laws of God and then when they stood up they would give their opinions and their teachings but when they sat down it was strictly observed that they read from the Torah the Parsha and when when Jesus is talking about the scripture Matthew chapter 23 is telling them to observe the Torah not to do away with it But not to do as they do, that's verse 4, which isn't quoted here. Uh, Because they had added many things to the law which were not right. But when they sat down in Moses' seat, they taught the truth because they only read from the Torah scroll. Anyway, continuing on. The chief priests and councils sought with lawyers to trap Jesus for violating even the most minute laws. Jesus, however, could recite the law in his own defense and by the same law condemn the Pharisees for their disobedience. He could condemn the hierarchy of Judah for their hypocrisy by their own law and also condemn them according to the laws of God. Page 14. It should be carefully noted that Jesus was often called rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master. John chapter 1 verse 38. This was an office, title, or position of teacher, which was highly honored by the Jews, so much so that it became a title of prestige and social respect. If a man was a rabbi, he was entitled to the choice seats in social gatherings and the praises of the multitude. Jesus warned his disciples to avoid the social prestige of the public honors and the praiseworthy titles that became or they came with that title of rabbi. See Matthew chapter 23 verses 5 and 8 or through 8. Jesus was often called rabbi, which he did not deny. It was just justly applied both as an office and honor. If Jesus was not a rabbi according to that Jewish office, he would have immediately renounced the title. And also, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have flipped out by people calling him rabbi if he wasn't a rabbi because of their greed and their, you know, they wanted people to look at them, not look at Jesus. But that's just my own comment. Continuing on with the reading. His chief apostle, Peter, often called him Rabbi, Mark chapter 9, verse 5, and Mark chapter 11, verse 21, but received no word or correction from Jesus indicating that the typo that the title was properly applied. When Jesus was called rabbi by Judas, Matthew chapter 26, verse 25 and 49, and by Nathanael, John chapter 1, verse 49, and the other disciples in John chapter 138, John chapter 431, John chapter 9, 2, and John chapter 11, 8. He acknowledged the title without dispute. Great masses of people also called him rabbi, John chapter 6, verse 25. And when Nicodemus, a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, acknowledged Jesus as a rabbi, it was conclusive evidence that Jesus was indeed a Jewish rabbi. 
the office of rabbi required a person to be particularly well-versed in the scriptures and the Talmud, whereas the office of priest required certain sacrificial and temple ordinances, uh, temple ordinance ceremonies, yet both were specially commissioned. To be recognized as a rabbi, however, a Talmudic student has to be ordained. The custom of ordination is a very, very old one. Yeshua, or Joshua, son of Nun, was ordained by Moses, Moshe. The practice of ordination in its mosaic form ceased in Palestine in the second half of the fourth century when Judea, Judean academies were closed. In the 16th century, an attempt was made in Palestine to revive the ancient ordination as well as the Sanhedrin with all of the power and authority that it possessed. But this attempt resulted in failure. Now we're on page 15, but that was a quote from the Encyclopedia Britannica, volume 18, page 978. With the ordination to this official calling of rabbi, Jesus could teach the gospel principles However, he was led to do so, or Jesus could teach the gospel principles wherever he was led to do so. As a rabbi, he taught thousands upon the mountainside, in synagogues, and even resorted to the use of a a whip to teach a special listen to the money changers in the temple. The councils, lawyers, Pharisees, and and priests of Judah tried by every means to to prove Jesus unfit for the office, but to no avail. Jesus acknowledged the title, office, and position of rabbi by precept and was an example. He was destined to be the most honored rabbi, priest, and even king. He was ki- kingly and priestly. It was his kingly and priestly powers which brought about the envy of both pagan and Jew. His influence was felt in every domain of social, religious, and political life and soon caused the jealousy and fear of those who felt the sting of his rebuke. For Jesus exposed the corruptions of the political tyrants and the religious demagogues. Jesus lived though or through a constant barrage of attacks against his birth because they called him a bastard because everybody knew that Mary was not married to Joseph when she got pregnant um, they attacked his character they attacked his authority they attacked his teaching of the law and doctrine because he was a marred servant. He's not the only one that is marred, but he was marred in the in the fact that Satan always mars the character of a righteous man before he mars him in destruction, or mars him figure, uh, figuratively, or not figuratively, but mars his form. So there is a marred servant that will come but Jesus was also a marred servant, and they marred his reputation and his character. Anyway, um, yet if he had lived a celibate life, that alone would have given his enemies the greatest advantage to dispute his claims, for it was against the traditional and scriptural law for a rabbi to remain single. And like they considered not having children destroying generations of people and that when you have children they have children and they their children have children so to remain single was like a big deal among their culture and time but they never chided him for it 
they would if they could, he was married, which will prove more in this book as we go along. Jesus could only have avoided this his pitfall or this pitfall by obeying the rabbinical law of marriage. And it's not just a law of marriage that that is given to the rabbis. We are all commanded to multiply and replenish the earth. That is what God, that is the first commandment. Um, well, I don't know if it's the first, but it was given the Garden of Gethsem- or Garden of Eden. So, anyway, um, so that's the end of the reading for the program today. When we come back, we'll get into chapter four of Jesus was married. Let me see if I can just pull that up real quick. Oh, I can't because I'm using this device that I usually get on the internet with to uh, to do the recording of the show. Maybe. Now, I won't be able to do it. Anyway... So I'm going to upload this uh, this podcast today, and I hope that everybody enjoys listening to these podcasts. You can find them on iTunes and at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And if you'll go subscribe to my YouTube channel, I am posting uh, older programs there that are very good. I think that the one about Pilate is pretty awesome. Just to hear what Pilate had to say about everything that happened with Jesus. So anyway, I hope that every one of you have a great and wonderful day and night. And we'll be back on later with chapter 4 of Jesus, Jesus Was Married. Take care everyone. God bless. And goodbye.